As you're seated, we go before our Lord, asking all of our hearts and desires according to his will. And so let us go before him now in prayer. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for a time such as this, that as your people, we could gather. And in that gathering, as your children, O Lord, you allow us to come before you, making requests and pleas as your children. We thank you, O Lord, for the work of Christ who intercedes even now at the right hand of the Father upon our behalf and the Spirit that dwells within us, asking when we fail to ask for ourselves, perfecting when we ask poorly. We thank you, O Lord, for the Trinity, as the Trinity cares for us so, so very well. We think of the civil realm before us, O Lord, and we pray, O Lord, for our federal Senate. We pray for Mr. Schumer and Mr. McConnell as they represent the various heads within that chamber of the parties there. We pray, O Lord, that by their work and the work of the Senate that there would be prosperity in our land. We pray that by their work, morality perhaps not only would be rediscovered, but that the people of our own country would turn from their sins unto Christ. We pray that you'd give these leaders wisdom as they govern us. And that in that wisdom, O Lord, that they would be obedient to your eternal law written upon their hearts. We pray, O Lord, for wisdom and knowledge and prosperity for the American people. And we pray that through our government, all the people of this country would be blessed. Blessed, perhaps, with not having to care concerning their needs within this world, but also, perhaps, blessed to have the freedom to worship the true and living God together as a people, even as we, O Lord, gather here with that blessing of worshiping you freely. We pray also, O Lord, for the work of the gospel going throughout all the earth. As we study perhaps the parable of the sower momentarily, we are reminded that the seeds of the gospel go to the ends of the earth as the sower, the great sower, sows them. We pray, O Lord, for Aaron Halbert and his family as they seek, O Lord, to establish churches in Honduras. We pray, O Lord, that that mission and that work would be beneficial to your kingdom, your earthly kingdom here, but also to the glory of your name in Honduras. We pray, O Lord, that you provide for Aaron and his whole family as they work in, the, in this regard. And that, O Lord, that they would not come back, or the, the work of the word would not come back empty-handed, but that the people of Honduras would know you, know you personally and well because of this ministry. We pray for ministries just like this throughout all the world. But we pray also, O Lord, for the lost in our own community. We need not go far to find those who spurn and dis have distaste for the gospel, who do not know you as their Savior. And so we pray, O Lord, for those within our own community, whether it be Troy, Edwardsville, or wherever we take residence. We pray, O Lord, that you would use the gospel in our own homes, but also in our own church to be a conduit for the truth of Christ. That we would not be a light under a basket, but that we would proclaim the glory and light of Christ to the ends of the earth. We pray, O oh Lord, that you'd give us great opportunity to this end. That you'd spurn our hearts for opportunity to be a witness to Christ, both by our actions, but also by our words. And that we would see revival in our own midst, in our own community. Transformation and reformation in our midst. We pray, O oh Lord, that you use providence and churches like us to that very end. And for churches, O oh Lord, that do not know you, 
who reject the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but still seek to have some sort of liturgy or worship. We pray, O Lord, that you'd bring reformation or revival to them as well. That they, O Lord, would have the lampstand returned to them as they rediscover the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, that we ourselves would grow as a congregation. That our educational ministry, whether that be through the preaching of the word or Sunday school or catechism, or even our own personal studies in our homes as well as with our families, we pray, O Lord, that you'd bless us in growth. Not merely, O Lord, growth in educational knowledge, but heart change growth. That our hearts would be further transformed and conformed to the will and wisdom of the gospel. May, O Lord, we not be stagnant in our walk with Christ. May we not be like the bad soils in the parable that we'll read in a moment. But, O Lord, weed our hearts, remove the rocks, add nutrients to the soil that we, O Lord, might grow closer not only to you, but to one another. We pray, O Lord, for those who are sick this morning. We think of perhaps ruling elder Larry Rogers and ruling elder Dan Ossendorf and others who have come down with various ailments and sicknesses, but there are likely many as we see this cold season having us shut up more than we normally are. We pray, Lord, that you would supply those who are absent from us this morning with great joy in the Spirit, that you would bring rejuvenation, healing, and refreshment to them, and that, O oh Lord, as they're absent from us, that you would tend to their very needs. We pray also, O oh Lord, for those who are downcast, those in this season, this melancholy season, as it were. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would supply us with joy, that you would supply us with hope, and even, perhaps, happiness. We pray also, O oh Lord, for those who are overcome by their own sins. They are wondering, perhaps rightly so, whether because of their failures they truly know you. We pray, O oh Lord, that their pricked consciences would lead them to repentance. And like John Owen often taught, sharpening the, the acts of repentance in, you, in order to destroy the tree of sin within our own lives. May it be so for all within our congregation. Give us victory over our sin and the devil. And allow us, O oh Lord, to come purely before you in worship. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. <clears throat> so far in the Gospel of Luke, we have seen some micro-parables. Parables that were perhaps only one verse or two, but not much more than that. Today we see the first solid meat and potatoes kind of parable. This parable is so important to the Christian faith that Jesus uses this parable in order to understand all of the parables. Therefore, if we have a good understanding of the parable of the sower, we have a good understanding of the word, the gospel, and the other parables that Jesus himself teaches. In other words, this is a parable to end all parables. It's an vital parable to the Christian faith, and it is that parable of the sower. So stand with me as we hear from Luke chapter 8. We'll begin in verse 1 and go through the half of the chapter to verse 21. 
Here's the word of God. Soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their own means and wealth. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell on thorns, and the thorns grew up, and, it, and with it, and choked it. And some fell, on, fell into good soil, and grew, and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to ear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables. And so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes them away, away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rocks are those, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell along the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil... They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who may enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came in, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. <clears throat> Dale Ralph Davis once said, Jesus is the one who said it. Keep your, ear, your eyes on your ears. Keep your eyes on your ears. And perhaps that sounds like an impossible task. How does one keep watch with their eyes upon their ears? But I'm reminded that er during our Christmas holiday a few weeks ago, we stayed with our family in northwest Indiana, 
All 11 grandchildren were all under the same household, and they were running as fast as they could throughout all the house, up the stairs, down the stairs, back up the stairs again. And I remember Marissa's father saying, we got to put an end to this because there is an imminent collision that is going to happen on that staircase. And we don't want any of these little ones to fall down. And so he lines up the kids before him. And he gives them a triumphant charge. And the charge was this. Every time you use the stairs, you cannot use them again for 10 minutes. What was curious about this message, though all of the kids were present to hear it, their minds all had different priorities. Perhaps one of the kids was just looking at their feet really not paying attention. Other of the kids looking at the wall and the ceiling. Others stared intently at Papa as he delivered his message. And then even one, before the message ever concluded, began to dart for the stairs. And I remember him asking that grandchild, did you hear what I just said to you? And the grandchild shrugged and said, I don't know. You see... Perhaps that's a good image of the parable that's before us today. Everyone there heard the message. Some of those perhaps didn't hear the message at all. They were like that which was on the path. Perhaps there was rocky soil in some. They heard the message joyfully. Okay, I get it. I can only use the stairs once every 10 minutes. But soon after they used the stairs, they withered under the heat of having to wait 10 whole minutes. But perhaps there were the type A perfect grandchildren, the perfect firstborns who heard the message and they knew well that in order to be blessed, I can only use this stair set every 10 minutes. This morning, Jesus has an important parable just like that. It is the parable of the sower, or more accurately, perhaps the parable of the soils. Though the sower is an important aspect to the parable, the main focus is on the soil by which the seed is spread. This was an image that was so common in ancient society. Perhaps even as Jesus was teaching on this parable in a distance, he used this parable because someone was spreading seed over his shoulders, indiscriminately going everywhere. Paths, rocky soils, thorns, good soil. Wherever the seeds could go, the sower would be throwing It would have been a great image and a great thing to witness as Jesus perhaps told this great lesson. But what we learn is that as Jesus, with any message, is that people respond differently to it. Though it's the same message, though it's the same news, every ear hears differently. And that that is because every heart is different. And so what I want you to see today is that our response to the gospel depends upon the condition of our hearts. Our response to the gospel depends upon the condition of our hearts. An open heart on good soil responds well, whereas the rugged old path, perhaps it responds poorly. The first thing I want you to see, though, as we think about this, is that the gospel is available to all. So when we think about this parable, before even the parable starts, we see the preface to the parable, that Jesus had been going from city to city, and we know it all too well, that as he has gone, he has preached to all sorts of people. 
we get a, perhaps a picture of that at the second part of verse 1 where it says, And the twelve were with them, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Susanna, and many others. We have heard perhaps the great examples throughout all of the first eight chapters of Luke that Jesus preached indiscriminately and widely. The gospel was called to go forth to all and to all indiscriminately. This means that it went to the religious elites, as we saw last week, where Jesus was in the house of a Pharisee. It went to scoundrels and tax collectors, as we go back even earlier in chapter 6 and chapter 7. He offered the gospel to Jews and Gentiles that hated the Jews. We think of those who were in Tyre and Sidon. And we see that he offered the gospel to men, but also, as we see in this passage... He highlights that the gospel goes forth to women as well. We often get the big 12 named in the gospels. You think of Peter, John, Matthew, Bartholomew, Philip, and the crew. But also along with those men or women. You think of last Easter when we preached the women went to the tomb in a great group in order to anoint the body of Christ. Women were always accompanied with Jesus as well. And we see perhaps some of their ailments. Their diverse ailments were as diverse as all the people he has been preaching to. Some in this passage seem to be demonically oppressed. We think of Mary Magdalene who had seven demons who had gone out. We think of those who are perhaps Gentiles. Joanna, who would have had perhaps some means and even greater means, Susanna, who it says in this passage provided for the disciples as they went forward. A diverse group. Those who had demon affliction, one commentator says the demon affliction that Mary experienced and those like her were not merely or not only moral failings that perhaps needed repentance, but rather they were tormented by these spirits. Sometimes we think that demonic oppression and demonic possession deals with morality, but really it is tormenting that Jesus has in mind here. It's not moral failing, but merely tormenting by spirit itself. But others as well. You think of a Gentile in Herod's own household coming to faith, abandoning post to be with Jesus. And Susanna, perhaps whose husband, who's not named, was successful in business and architecture and trade. This was a diverse group of people. And the gospel was available for all of them to hear. It's indiscriminate. But, but we also see in these first few verses the purpose. As these people gather in order to hear the parable, there's a purpose to it. And we see that purpose perhaps in verse 9 and 10. And when the disciples asked them what the parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. You see, secrets of the kingdom, this isn't sort of some secret knowledge that is inaccessible, that only certain people can ascertain or contain themselves. It merely means understanding and receiving the gospel. Perhaps we misunderstand the parables ourselves. When I first thought of the parables, I thought the parables were given to the church in order to make what is difficult plain and easy. 
Perhaps what we do for children, we read them stories that might teach them to brush their teeth or go to the bathroom in a toilet. We, we think the story will help them. But what Jesus says in these parables is that I give you the truth, but others I speak in parables so that they may not see. They may not understand. It seems that the parables for those who do not understand the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are used in a condemning way. Though you hear this parable of the sower, you do not understand it. Though you hear and see it, you do not perceive or understand. Perhaps that's the opposite of what we tend to think of a story. Meant to make difficult truths easy. But it seems that difficult truths are made more difficult in the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what are the parts of this parable? There are three parts. Three parts. And they're all easy to remember because they all start with S. The sower, the seeds, and the soil. Those are the three main parts. There are some smaller parts. You got birds that are devils and all that. But the three major parts are the sower, the seeds, and the soil. We'll leave the soil to a whole another point, but I want to look at the sower and the seeds. What is the sower? This is a question when I was in high school. I always wanted to know who the sower was. In the Greco-Roman understanding, it was a stock analogy, the sower, for a teacher. It was one who taught. In the Jewish context, it would perhaps be delegated then to the rabbi. And so when we think of this passage, the sower is Jesus himself. He is the teacher. I always thought of perhaps the Father God. But no, the sower is the teacher. It's Jesus. Perhaps his spirit as he sows for all to hear. He is the one who is sent by God to throw seed far and wide. What are the seeds? Well, you heard it in the gospel in verse 11 here. It says, the seed is the word. What does a teacher do? A teacher teaches. And what he teaches is his seed. He scatters it far and wide. It is good seed. You may be wondering sometimes when you are perhaps sharing the gospel with someone through conversation, action, whatever it may be, you might wonder why they don't believe, and you might blame the seed or even the sower. I don't have the skill. The word is deficient. It's not working. Well, what we see in this passage is that both the sower and the seed are good. Once my wife bought bulbs for our garden, and when we got them in the mail, they were covered in mold. Those are not good bulbs. We had to call the company, and they had to send us some new bulbs because we didn't want to plant moldy bulbs in the ground. Waste of time. Jesus' word, the word of God, are not moldy, worthless bulbs. They are the power of life. The word of God is the power of life. And under the right conditions, that powerful seed flourishes. But it is not the issue with the seed that is within this story. It is not even an issue with the sower but rather the soil itself. Under these right conditions, salvation shall spring to life. And so I want you to take that away from the first point. The gospel goes forth to all people. All people. Every single one of you this morning, in a sense, as we hear the word of Christ from the scripture, is having seed thrown out at you. And each one of you receives it perhaps differently. It's not that the word is ineffective. 
It was not that the sower is ineffective. Leads us to perhaps the next point. Our response to the gospel depends upon the condition of our heart. The second point then is our hearts produce a varied response. Yes, the gospel goes forth to all people, as we've just heard, but the heart produces a very response. We see this in verse 5 as we get the whole parable. A sower went out to sow his seeds, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on rocks, and when it grew, it withered away because of no moisture. And when some fell on thorns, the thorns grew up, and it choked it. And when some fell into the good soil, and it grew, it yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, he called out, he who has ears, let him hear. You see, listening and hearing is not a passive response. I used to think this, as long as I passively sit here, I just grow. I don't have to engage intellectually, I don't have to engage spiritually, it's just a passive act. But what we learn in this passage is that hearing is not passive at all. It's not passive at all. There are all sorts of reactions that we could have when we hear the word and we see that in the four soils three of them being not too delightful and one being good what is the first soil well it is the path verse 12 interprets it as this the one who gathers on the path or those who heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved the path the first soil, the worst soil perhaps, is hard and indifferent. It has no ability to absorb the seed that lay upon it. In some cases, it gives you the picture of perhaps a raincoat as rain just is repelled as it falls upon it, or an umbrella. It never soaks in. It is hard and indifferent. It doesn't penetrate the mind or the heart. We all know people like this, perhaps. But we see Jesus add the caveat, is it is Satan himself who snatches up that seed before it has any chance even to grow. It bounces off of us. It goes in one ear and out the other. If I could use that illustration, it never enters the heart. That is the first path. Those who sit in perhaps church on Sunday who have no semblance of belief within them, the word goes out week after week. They sit here passively, not believing a word of it. They're like this path. Perhaps Satan's greatest work in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ isn't perhaps tampering with the electrical so that you can't hear me, but it is perhaps what this parable talks about. In the church, those who he can distract to not hear the word at all is his greatest desire. J.C. Ryle once said, Nowhere does Satan labor so hard to stop the progress of the gospel, which is good, and to prevent men and women from being saved than the church where the gospel is found. The first path is hard and indifferent. The second soil, though, as you look down, is rocky. Verse 13 tries to uh, uh, describe what that rocky soil is, and it says, And the ones who are on the rocks were those who when they heard the word, they received it with joy. That sounds good. But they had no roots. They believed for a while. And in time of testing, they fall away. You see, the second soil in this passage is shallow and superficial. It's shallow and superficial. It is a rocky soil. 
I don't know if you've ever tried to grow anything in rocky sorts of soil. It's harder to maintain and harder to offer life. And that's because the roots don't sink down deep. Have you ever tried to pick a, a weed out of your garden that had rocks in it? It comes right up easily. But when you try to tear those weeds out of your lawn, it's a much heavier endeavor. The rocky soil can't hold the life of the plant. And when adversity comes, it destroys itself easily. We were reminded in middle school, we had probably the largest youth group in the town because this church was just a block away from the middle school. And so as you'd walk home from school, you'd pass by the church, and on Wednesdays they would invite us in and we would have youth group. We had 80 to 100 kids every week. It was a delightful experience. It was my favorite experience probably that I've had on this earth. Every week, all of my friends skateboarding at this church, hearing the gospel. But there was much rocky soil. I remember in high school, that group would dwindle down to 30. And then I think even now today, as I stand here before you, it might have dwindled down to about five. There were not many people who survived in that youth group. And it wasn't because of the message. And it wasn't because of the messenger. It was because the hearts of the youth there were rocky as can be. When they first heard the gospel, they joyfully received it. They were excited. They loved going on the retreats. They loved going to Spring Hill in Michigan. They loved going on the service trips in the summer. But at the moment at adversity, it made plain this, that they had a superficial, shallow faith. And when it became not cool to associate with Christ, they easily abandoned him. They could not stand. Last summer, we had to, to till some of our land because we had a new septic when we bought the land. And we were trying to prevent erosion, and so we planted seed early, knowing that it would not survive. And what happened was exactly what the rocky soil produces. The grass looked great. I thought, man, this grass is going to survive July somehow. And I remember thinking, this is just so thick, so luscious, so well taken care of. We watered it twice a day, every day. I thought, this grass is here to stay. But the moment of adversity, when those weather, when the sun started to climb the temperature in this area to near 100, that grass suffered. And I watched it slowly, painstakingly die. It went from being luscious and beautiful to spots appearing in the lawn. And those spots didn't contain themselves. I had hope against hope that the spots would remain just the spots, but they started to expand. And by the fall, it was all dead. It was all dead, and we had to replant. It's looking good now. I have hope that perhaps this next season we don't have to do that again. That is the rocky soil. The moment of adversity, when the, when the fire is turned up, there is a turning from the faith. Cyril of Alexandria once said this. He lamented that some people will joyfully receive instructions, yet when they go out from the church, at once they forget the sacred doctrines and go on their customary courses, not having stored up within themselves anything for their future benefit. When persecution troubles them and the enemies of truth attack them, their hearts do not love the battle and their minds throw away their shield and they flee. I mean, the church experienced much persecution. But the rocky soil abandons. 
The third, though, is the thorns. Verse 14 seeks to explain these. And as for those who fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. The third soil that you can find yourself in is a soil, perhaps, that is full of thorns. It is a preoccupation and distraction. Perhaps this is the soil of the American church. How distracted are we in the faith? You can name a few our phones. Don't check your time on how often you were on your phone this week. You can in settings. See that you were on it for 6, 8, 10, 12 hours. Don't check that. It could be a distraction. Our sports, our TVs, our pleasures, our entertainment, taking vacations, buying cars, remodeling our homes, all of these things uh, that we distract ourselves with, our children's sports, our children's extracurriculars. We are just moving run ragged from thing to thing, so distracted we don't stop and think for just a moment in any day. Of course, none, not one of these is really bad. I mean, all of you have phones. <laughs> All of you perhaps watch sports from time to time. Most of you have TVs. They're not bad in them of themselves, but they prove to be distractions. And those who are distracted, we live in a society that amuses ourselves to death, those who are distracted, what does Jesus have to tell you? Your fruit does not mature. You say a baby Christian. You can think of the biblical example of Esau who sold his birthright for some bloody stew, distracted by the common world. Sometimes our hearts are weedy places. They are weedy with distractions, and it chokes our faith out. Which one of these soils are you drawn to? <laughs> I know we haven't gotten to the good soil, but I assume, as every good Christian does, they assume they're none of these three soils. They assume they're the good soil. Everyone wants to be the good soil, right? None of you ever thought. You probably in your mind's eye as I was going through these soils, you're cataloging and categorizing all the people in your life except for yourself. Yeah, my aunt's this soil, my uncle's that soil. <laughs> Me. I'm the good soil, of course. Well, which one are you prone to? Are you the hard path, the perhaps that as you sit here this morning, the gospel goes in one ear and out the other, you're not paying attention at all, and you never have been because you don't care. Perhaps that's you. You're obstinate towards the gospel. Your heart is as hard as stone, and you do not care. Perhaps you remain in your ways, your sinful ways. You come to church, you put on a mask, pretend to be good, but you know that deep down inside, you're as vile as you've ever been. You know, no hope for change. You're on the hard path. Or perhaps you're the rocky soil. Perhaps your heart jumps for joy when you've heard the gospel for the first time ever. You receive it with joy, but that joy is faded because of the adversity of life. Perhaps you've gone through some trial, and instead of being refined like gold in a kiln, you burn up. You're burned up and burned out. Perhaps your faith is shallow. Always thinking about how great those who have a true good faith are and wondering if you could ever obtain it. Shallow. 
you come to church on Sunday and that's about your start and end for the Christian faith. Perhaps you're the thorny soil. This is probably where most of us are more than we'd care to admit. A distracted soil. An American soil. A soil that, yes, we hear the gospel, but our hearts and minds are so distracted that when is the last time we ever open the scripture to read it? When is the last time we engaged with the teaching? We're just so busy hopping from one place to the next. When's the last time our family prayed together? When's the last time our family sang together? When's the last time our family read together? We're thorny. We're so distracted. We can't, Scott. We can't. We're just so busy. You don't know my schedule. I don't have time to pray with my family. I don't have time to read with my family. I don't have time to sing. There's so many other distractions. Preoccupation. The family suffers. Suffers with immaturity. It's a thorny soil. In our children, we see it. They're on their phones to ad nauseum. The thorny soil as it be. Scrolling and scrolling, never ending. When I was a youth director... It was always, we had a policy of dropping your phone in a basket because if we didn't, they would not talk to each other. It was quite a conundrum. We'd have a youth group together and instead of talking to each other, they would Snapchat the person next to them. They, they conversed next to each other through text format. Distractions. We can be distracted. Our response to the gospel depends upon the condition of our heart. The last thing I want you to see is that our fruit reveals our hearts. And this is where we get into the last point of this sermon, perhaps, where the idea is in verse 15, as for in the good soil, those who hear the word hold fast to it in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. When an honest heart receives the good news of the gospel, it grows and bears fruit. You think of the seed that is thrown across indiscriminately, perhaps, to all who could receive it. Those who are good soil, those who have a heart that has been transformed by the Spirit and constantly renewed through repentance, they grow well. Perhaps reminds me of the abundant crop of kudzu. I don't know if you've ever heard it. It is not a, perhaps a thing that we see in the Midwest, but it is certainly a thing that you will see if you drive south. Kudzu is an invasive uh, plant that is from the east and when in the 1940s there was erosion in the forests in the south, they thought they could combat the erosion by introducing kudzu to the ecosystem. And what kudzu does, it is a, it's an invasive crop of vine that spreads everywhere. You'll know it if you're in the south. You just pass by any foliage, any forest, and you will see the trees covered in vines. I was reading one article that said phone line companies spend $1.5 million a year trying to cut back kudzu. Kudzu grows in the middle of summer one foot a day. It goes everywhere. That is the good soil of the Christian heart. When the Lord sows his seed, they become like kudzu. Perhaps not a good illustration for those who live with kudzu. But if the kudzu were the gospel, it would be a joyous experience. Because those who receive it, receive so joyfully. In the last part of the passage, we see that you don't hide this good news. Those who hear it and hear it well, they 
proclaim it. In verse 18, it says, take care of how you hear them. For to hear, for the one who has, more will be given. And the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has, will be taken away. The main point of this whole parable that we have before us this morning is that verse right there. Take care then how you hear. That's the point of the parable. Take care then how you hear. Focus intently on the condition of your own heart. Take a self-inventory from time to time. How am I? Am I stagnant? Am I going nowhere fast? What is the state of my own spiritual condition? Is it like the rocky, thorny soil, or is it perhaps better in the good soil that is thriving? We're all in a certain category. Every single one of us here, perhaps one of these four, is good to reflect from time to time. For you as ears, let him hear. Take care of how you hear. It's tempting, even for a pastor. Go to General Assembly. I have to sit through sermons too. I'm often up front. Obviously, I'm engaged in some capacity if I have to speak. But it's tempting halfway through the sermon to check out. Perhaps you're checked out right now. It's tempting. Take care to listen closely. That's what Jesus wants us to do. It's not a passive task. We can't just merely be in the presence of the sanctuary and expect to grow, but we must be engaged well. This is how the Spirit works in our life. He convicts us and draws us to Christ, not passively, but actively. It's how we grow. You think of the ordinary means of grace. My favorite phrase in all of Christianity, the ordinary means of grace. How do you grow ordinarily in the faith? It is through the reading and preaching of the Word. It is through the sacraments as we receive them. It is through prayer. That's how Christians grow. And with that great wielded acts of repentance, cutting down all the sin that we have in our lives. That's how the Christian grows and grows well. But perhaps today we need to do some weeding. Perhaps today we need to do a little self-inventory. Because our response to the gospel depends upon the condition of our hearts. As a Christian pastor, I always hope against hope that every person in my congregation believes and believes well. I usually, that's your predisposed spot in my mind. I just assume all of you are Christians. And then you, you pick away at that when I find crazy stuff out about you. And you, you may go into one of these other soils. I'm not categorizing you this, this morning, don't worry. But our heart is the most important part as it relates to receiving the gospel well. I want to leave you with perhaps one part of William Cooper's home called the sower. And perhaps this is hopeful. He reminds us that this is the good soil, that where the Lord of grace and power has blessed the happy field, how plenteous is the golden store and deep wrought furrow field. You see, at the end of this passage, end of this parable, you might be tempted to think that there are evenly distributed seed places. 25% of people will never know the gospel. 25% of people will hear and be choked. 25 are the rock and 25 are the good. But what we notice is that when Jesus explains the parable as he concludes, is that those who receive the faith on the fertile soil will have a bounteous collection and harvest. And so perhaps though we might be discouraged by the types of soil, 
Lord Jesus Christ in the end reminds us that those who hear the word will see the bounteous flock and harvest of the Lord Jesus Christ. So perhaps today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but call upon him. Help me, O Lord. Give me the nutrients that I need to no longer be rocky. Help me weed my heart from all its distractions. May I be, as William Cooper says here, that plenteous, be plenteous in golden store, deep wrought in a furrow field. May that be you today. Let us close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we pray, O Lord, that as we dwell upon this parable, that you'd be gracious to us, that you'd help us, O Lord, to see the very great truths of the gospel, that we could be attentive with our hearing, that we would keep our eyes on our ears, that we might know you better and more. Mature us, O Lord, to not be so presumptuous to think that we are on the good soil. But in grace and truth, give us the ability to reflect well and to call upon you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.